Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Well, hello there, and a big shout out to my international audience and fans. I want to thank all of my listening audience for your support and tuning in every week to the Transformation for Success show. And just as a reminder, I'm live on the Empowerment Channel Tuesdays at noon and live on the Women's Channel on Fridays at noon. And both shows are available for downloading directly after the show. I'm also available on iTunes, Transformation for Success. So please share with your friends and colleagues. You know, this is February and it marks Black History Month. Black History Month or National African American History Month is an annual celebration of achievements by black Americans. And it's a time for recognizing the central role of African Americans in United States history. And since 1976, Every United States president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month. So while Black History Month is really synonymous with prominent figures, well, today we have one for you. I have an extraordinary gentleman by the name of Dr. Robert Michael Franklin, Jr. He is the well-known educator, author, ordained minister in two Christian denominations, and who was the 10th president of Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, the nation's large private four-year liberal arts college for men from 2007 to 2012, and he's now president emeritus. Dr. Franklin is also... Uh, was a visiting scholar in residence at Stanford University's Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute. He is now Senior Advisor to the President of Emory University and Director of the Religion Program at the Chautauqua Institution. And I hope I pronounced that correctly. But anyway, I want you to stay tuned for today's show. If you're listening live and you have questions of Dr. Franklin, you can call in the show. Yes, yes, yes. And the call-in number is one 888 Three four six nine one four one. Again, that's one eight 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 three four six nine one five one. And we would be delighted and pleased to take your calls. Now, let me present my guest for today's show, Doctor Robert Michael Franklin Jr. Hello, Doctor Franklin, and welcome. Whoa, hello there. It's very good to be with you today. Well, it's an honor to have you on our show today, and I really want to take you. thank you for taking time out from your busy schedule to speak to our global listeners, national listeners, and local listeners. You know, truly, you are a man for all seasons, and it was a pleasure to meet you uh, about a couple of months ago in person. You have had such an impressive and exciting career journey, and you've made a remarkable impact on the lives of so many African-American men and women and others around the world. So today, we want to, you know, inquiring minds want to know how it all start with you. (laughs) And what was it like growing up in South Chicago? Because I understand you grew up in South Chicago. So tell us a little bit about growing up in that area. Well, a lot of people today know something about uh, what we call the south side of Chicago in part because, of course, uh, President Barack Obama uh, lived there and ran for office from that uh, 
that side of town and represented, he was my U.S. Senator in mm-hmm. Illinois. And then his uh, dear wife, Michelle Obama, uh, attended a high school not far from where I lived. And I uh, knew her, her school and her family, and it's, it's an amazing place with uh, all of the diversity, mm-hmm. socioeconomic and uh, ethnic racial and religious that one associates with uh all of the great cities uh, in in the United States, mm-hmm. but uh, Chicago has a kind of intensity to mm-hmm. it, and uh, unfortunately, some of it manifested itself even then in mm-hmm. uh, young people who were, and uh, I, thinking, were somewhat without purpose and without a life plan, mm-hmm. but uh, looking for a way to survive and make sense of life, and so. Uh, the emergence of street gangs and street organizations was a big deal during mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And so I found in my extended family and in the church a kind of protective village mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. saw me through my first, you know, 17 years of life. And then they uh, rather hurriedly shipped me down to Atlanta to attend Morehouse College. Well, uh, you know, I was going to ask you that, you know. Like, were you, you know, was Morehouse your choice? You know, were you, but what inspired you to actually go to, uh, you know, Morehouse? You know, Southside Chicago all the way to Atlanta, Georgia is a leap. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great, great question because I have a very special memory associated with that question. I was a high school sophomore when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Now, I'll never forget that April 4th, 1968 day. Five days later, it was his funeral on April 9th, and the mm-hmm. funeral occurred in two locations in Atlanta. This mm-hmm. was televised, so many of us and some of right. the older listeners would, be, uh, would, would remember some of this. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they started at Ebenezer Baptist Church, downtown Atlanta, Mm-hmm. on the famous Auburn Avenue. But then they marched the three or so miles out to the Atlanta University Center, this mm-hmm. wonderful uh, compilation or, of, of higher ed institutions that include Morehouse, all-men mm-hmm. school, Spelman, and all-women yes. school, Clark mm-hmm. College, and Morris Brown College co-ed, and the ITC was the seminary. Mm-hmm. And they gathered on the campus of Morehouse College because, of course, Dr. King had graduated from Morehouse. Over 70,000 people gathered that day for the outdoor portion because only a few hundred could fit inside Ebenezer Church. Yes. And it was a I've been there. Thing. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So I watched all that on television, and my father said, as he looked at me, that's where I want you to go to school. So that made a deep impression on me. Wow. Wow, that is remarkable. And you know, the other remarkable thing about this, and I hate to just segue to this because you had a lot of experiences before that, but can you imagine, here you are at 17, you're watching this on television, and your father says, this is where I want you to go to school, and you end up being president of that school. (laughs) You know, I, I, I hope listeners are out there knowing that there is certainly a divine creator that has a remarkable plan. Sometimes he has a great sense of humor. I know he has a great sense of humor, but we, but I mean, in your, could you even in your wildest imaginations at 18, 19 thinking I'm at this college and one day I'm going to be president. 
And that was one of my questions. Did you ever, ever think about, I might be president of this college? <laughs> well, I love, Dr. Barber, I love your, your, your comment about uh, God's sense of humor. But, uh, <laughs> that always compliments God's sense of purpose. And yes. uh, I didn't see it. I didn't imagine it. I just, I had no idea what does a college president do? And uh, how does one prepare for that kind of role? <laughs> but over time, it began to unfold. Just like going through a book, it's a chapter at a time, but ultimately it's a page at a time and a sentence <laughs> at a time. And that's the way I walked into the office of the presidency at Morehouse College, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over, over 30 years after I left as a student. And what a tremendous honor that was. I will tell you this, that the day I graduated, the president of the college saw me standing there walking along with my mother and father. And he did come up to us and he said, uh, uh, Brother Franklin, I hope you'll go out and uh, earn your or your doctoral degree and someday come back and maybe be more president of Morehouse. Oh, my and goodness. I, you know, I thought, he, I, I thought to myself, he probably has said this to 50 different guys today. <laughs> but whether he did or not, when he said those words to me, he was talking to a future. <laughs> that so you was never a prophetic know. word, what some people would call a prophetic word. Oh, and maybe he didn't even understand it himself when he yeah. said it. Exactly. And that's that thing. But, you know, uh, when I look back uh, and have looked at your bio and, and have talked about this to other people, you know, you had the opportunity that a lot of young people, I hope today, are listening to this show uh, about experiences and, as you say, a book, and then it's chapter by chapter and it's page by page. But you had the opportunity to study abroad and have that experience of leaving the United States and going to England. And I wanted you to sort of share a little bit about that because here you are, you're south side, you know, Chicago, you go to Atlanta, Georgia, and then you get this year of study abroad in England. Mm-hmm. So what was, how did that impact your viewpoint, or did you believe that it had something to do with impacting your viewpoint, your viewpoint oh, it, life? It certainly did. Uh, it, it, that, that year abroad made all the difference mm-hmm. in the person that I became, because it was a time, you know, we all grow up in local Spaces, local villages, local communities, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's a wonderful proverb from the a um, a Ghanaian uh, community that says, "Never declare that your mother's stew is the best in the world if you've never left your village." Okay, and I love was, that. <laughs> so, so <laughs> it was by stepping outside the United States, my home, my beloved country. I was able to look back at this country and see its strengths, its challenges and flaws, but also myself to be transformed into uh, a phrase that I used to urge upon my students to become a global citizen. Mm-hmm. You can love, love your own home's country, but ultimately we should be citizens at home anywhere on the planet because we all belong to God. It is so true. And I, I just felt that uh, you needed to explain that because I know when we leave this country and go to other countries, there there are experiences that just they're hard sometimes to define, but definitely yes. they will make an impact on your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it is you, you obviously were raised in the church, uh, which mm-hmm. you talked about that foundation for you that kept you from getting into gangs and maybe getting into trouble. But then you 
later on in your life, you rededicated your life and you went into the ministry and here you are mm. become an ordained pastor. I mean, we're, we're, I'm trying to put this all together. So here we are, the, the educated <laughs> student. <laughs> and so yeah. then he has this experience uh, that where you rededicate. So you had that need to rededicate and then you felt you had a calling uh, from your own words to go into the ministry. So, you know, we're going to put this all together, how yeah. calling, the ministry, and then president of Morehouse, and all the things that you have done. So share a little bit about that experience. Yes. You dedicated so my, your life to Christ, uh, and, then, <laughs> and then you have this calling, or you felt you yes, had this right. urge. Mm-hmm. Well, as was, during my first two years at Morehouse, before I applied for the overseas scholarship, I thought I was headed into law and politics. And that was my focus. My major was political science. I worked hard. I loved reading and couldn't get enough of studying history and politics and so on, government. So the experience of being abroad and this uh, sense of, I'm going to use a fancy word here, of de-parochializing myself, of Mm -hmm. stepping outside of my own local parochial background. It, uh, It showed me a larger world, and I found that as I traveled that year to, uh, to Spain, to Morocco, um, and to, as I traveled later to the, what was then the Soviet Union, now Russia, I uh-huh. began to see people in experiencing different belief systems. And I was uh-huh. fascinated with that. And I decided I'm asking a different set of questions now about how do human beings make meaning uh, in the world and, uh-huh. and make sense of life. So that ultimately, I found myself being drawn. I call it an inner tug. So I didn't hear a voice that call in that sense, but it was a deep inner tug that was persistent, pulling me away from my love of the law and politics. I, I couldn't read it anymore. And suddenly, every day I was asking different questions, religious, philosophical questions, and that led me ultimately to to uh, just surrender my life and ask God, what is it you want me to do? I'm here to serve. And then the image of Martin Luther King also uh, came back to sort of almost haunt me and give me a sense of this is something you could do meaningful with your life, and serving others, helping others experience freedom and justice. And that was a part of my call and rededication. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to finish the second half of this and we've got a lot more to go. So listeners, I want you to stay tuned. We're going to be back with Dr. Robert Franklin as he tells us what did he do next. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning into the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. 
Have you left the cage that held you back but find yourself in the wild of your life wondering, what do I do now? I'm Dr. Lisa Cooney and today I'm going to give you the tools to answer that question. Regardless of the issue, your choices of the past no longer need to haunt you. You have the power to change that and to create from a space of fun and ease. How different can your life be? Find out. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, hi there, and welcome back with my discussion and interview today with a very prominent and renowned edic- educator, author, ordained minister in two Christian denominations, and we're going to talk about that. And it's Dr. Robert Michael Franklin, who was president of Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, the nation's largest private four-year liberal arts college for men, and he's now president emeritus. He has done so many things, and we're just having a great time talking today, and interestingly enough, Before we went on break, we talked about his love for law, for politics, and how he had this inner tug, as he calls it, that had him go in a different direction. So, Dr. Franklin, we'll continue with, well, you had that tug to go into a different direction. What did you do? (laughs) Well, when I returned, I realized I was in a bit of a crisis because, you know, when you make a life-changing, life-new directional trajectory, you don't always mm-hmm. have a roadmap for it. Right. And uh, suddenly I had a map for going to law school and entering politics. I didn't have a map for ministry. And <laughs> I have to, I'll be very honest here. Many of the ministers that I knew were not people that I particularly wanted to emulate. Right. And, uh, and so I was really struggling with that and uh, praying for role models to emerge, even at this late stage in my college career. I was a senior. I was about to leave, graduate. And uh, one day, I, I'll i say I stumbled upon, I was in the library, and there was a large bin of, um, of, of college and university catalogs being discarded. And I just happened to walk past, and I saw the colors in one of the books that reminded me of, uh, the colors at, at, at Harvard, and I, that, that was the law school I wanted to attend. And I just picked it up and happened to be the Divinity School at Harvard. Well, I'd never heard of it. And I oh, said, well, what? they're probably throwing this away because it no longer exists. But I pulled the card. You know, they had those old cards you could mail in yes. <laughs> asking for more information. I did that, received an application, and the long and short of it is I was admitted. And that's where I really began to prepare uh, for ministry and for for uh, higher education ministry as well. Isn't that interesting? I find that so fascinating. So, how long did it take you? Did, I mean, you went through that with the expediency, I'm sure. Yes, you yeah. sailed through it that was program. A three-year <laughs> degree program, and so that, I spent those three years up in the uh, Boston, Cambridge area. 
And then uh, you went on to the University of Chicago to get your PhD. What inspired you to get the PhD? Did you feel you needed to have that as well? Yeah, I, I, I realized that as I was concerned with uh, kind of healing the brokenness of people, mm-hmm. and as I was studying to, to, to provide counseling and so on, I began to ask a more radical question of why are people broken in the first place? Mm-hmm. What's happening in our society? What's happening in their lives? Mm-hmm. And that's what prompted me. Also, a couple of terrific teachers who became role models for me. And I thought, this professor life, I think I could do that. Mm-hmm. And um, so, even as I was engaged in ministry, I served as a hospital chaplain in Chicago, saw a lot of, uh, just a, a lot of pain, a lot of death. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I was asking, how can I serve in a more uh, more strategic way to mm-hmm. help redirect young people before they get on the path that leads to violence and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. early death? So that's what led me into a Ph.D. program uh, in ethics and, and psychology, and it was a wonderful experience. And that, that set me on the course as a professor to begin to be noticed. As mm-hmm. I was writing and publishing, I now have three books, and the latest is Crisis in the Village. Right. It talks about these challenges facing mm-hmm. uh, all families, not just African-American or Latino families, but crises in families, in, mm-hmm. in congregations, and in schools. And uh, that's a, I was trying to offer solutions for how we can repair these mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. anchor institutions. Well, you know, one of the, one of the things that you know, you talked about the book, you talked about the road the roadmap, and there's a page day by day and book, you know, and it looks like your life, you know, was evolving as you know the Creator God is leading you along the way to have all of mm-hmm. these experiences, and all of these led up to your becoming the president of Morehouse. Now, this is interesting. This is an interesting question, but I'm fascinated. I wonder what your interview was like when you were before that board, that <laughs> that search committee, when they ask you, why do you think that you would make a great president here at Morehouse? Mm. I mean, I'm sure mm. it will question something like that, or what makes you yeah. think that yeah. this, you know, would be an opportunity? And what would you bring? What are you bringing to mm. this college? Because mm. maybe at yeah. that time they might have been in crisis. I don't remember. But yeah. historically, yeah. Black, black colleges have always had some of their challenges. So what would you have said in that interview? Mm. I just, yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Well, I know let, you let remember me just, it. Uh, you know, in all the years I've spoken to various uh reporters and many people, no one has quite asked the question the way you just framed it. And I think that's remarkably perceptive of you. And and I will say to you that I, I remember even now as I talk, that walking into the room, I was uh, one of three finalists. Mm-hmm. And I walked in with uh, two things in my hands. And this may be a, a an interview tip for someone who's listening today. Uh, I walked in not empty-handed, but and not with notes, but rather with my previous work and publication. So I had the the three books, and mm-hmm. I, I laid those out on the table mm-hmm. in front of me. And then there was there was a bit of a crisis at this wonderful college. In mm-hmm. fact, it had found its way onto the cover of a local magazine in Atlanta. In fact, it's called the Atlanta Magazine, mm-hmm. and it. 
and, and unfortunately, one of the tiny cover stories on the cover was um, was challenged murders at Morehouse. And this was an occasion wow. where some young man, it was just an awful, awful situation mm-hmm. uh, involved in, in, in uh, substance abuse and, and, and some retaliation oh, wow. and so on that occurred off campus, but it was still our student uh, mm-hmm. who was victimized and, and then one who engaged in these uh, violent acts. So the college was really reeling and struggling with this. This was tarnishing the great reputation of a beautiful, wonderful institution. And I walked in and said, I think there's a need for moral renewal in this great school. And I I will humbly suggest to you, I can be a part of starting that process. Wow. I think they were very excited. And I'll just say in, in two sentences, I said, we need to promote what I call the five wells, W E L L S. I said, mm-hmm. I want every Morehouse man to be well-read, well-spoken, well-traveled, well-dressed, and well-balanced. And when I laid that vision out of the five wells, I could see heads nodding and people who weren't paying attention began to look up. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I think, I think, we've, mm-hmm. said, I think we've, we've just hit the home run. <laughs> I got the calls a week later. Come and be our president. Wonderful, wonderful. I, I I'm so excited. I'm I'm just sort of reliving that with you because I know you blew them away in that interview. Yes, yes. It was a <laughs> and they and moment. you know I do hope that the listeners take a tip. Uh, about that interview. Remarkable. Going in with a plan also. I mean, you came with a plan of how we're going to rectify the situation. And that's really, 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 and balance. Those five wells, um, did that lead you into establishing what you call moral leadership? Because I know that with uh, your tenure at that university, you inspired well over 700 men or more to lead greater lives, and what an accomplishment, uh, and I want to give you kudos for that, uh, because I know that must make you feel like it was worth it, uh, because there are challenges, too. And yes. so one of the things I wanted to ask you, too, in that, during that tenure, what do you think was your greatest challenge, uh, mm-hmm. and how you overcame it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, the external challenge was uh, this is during you know 2008 the uh, recession in our economy mm-hmm. and seeing so many families who had saved and devoted their life savings to educating their son or grandson and mm-hmm. to see their savings evaporate see families lose their homes many of them lose their jobs and they would come to college with this enormous sense of grief and guilt. And we did our best to keep them enrolled as long as possible, mm-hmm. but uh, that was that was an enormous challenge, and it was mm-hmm. a challenging time to be engaged in fundraising. You know, mm-hmm. college presidents essentially spend seventy percent of their time uh, asking for money. Well, that's um, yeah, I know that that changed. You know that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yep. You can't do the fun now. They're hiring business managers, guys who have a Indeed. business background. Indeed. That's right, and 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 we needed that. Uh, we have it mm-hmm. now, but at, back then it was a focus on the president as fundraiser. 
yes. which I enjoyed because I enjoyed telling our story. And mm-hmm. everyone immediately understood that America needs to offer more opportunities for the young men, especially young men, certainly young yes. men and women, who often feel locked out and have no opportunity, no dreams, no hopes. So that was one of the big challenges. And now another interesting challenge emerged in talking about the five wells, you know, well-read, spoken, traveled, dressed, balanced. When mm-hmm. I talked about being well-dressed, there was some controversy there. I bet. Some of the students, <laughs> that, you know, a few of them really challenged. They said, you know, what, what we wear is none of your business. But, but I told the faculty I did not want to see young men who had been their communities that sent them to Morehouse, they shouldn't sit in a classroom with a baseball cap on. Mm-hmm. They told them they couldn't sag their pants. They had to pull mm-hmm. up the pants. They had to look like leaders. Mm-hmm. And I made a deal. I said, you can do what you want, wear what you want on your own time. But when you're on this campus where Martin Luther King walked this campus and leaders like Julian Bond and Maynard Jackson, former mayor of Atlanta, on and on, look like a leader. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Barbara, 95% of the students gave me a standing ovation when I said that. I know the they did. The decided to part company. <laughs> <laughs> I know they did. And, you know, uh, I have, a, I have a, a person that he calls it, um, wrap the package. You wrap uh, yes. the package. Yes, yes. I like I'm, that. I'm, I'm a strong proponent on that for women. I mean, yes. I mastermind a lot of women and they know Dr. Barbara Young. I am on mm-hmm. it about wrapping the package. <laughs> I like that. That's what I call it. <laughs> uh, I used that's to say the first dress impression. for success. <laughs> I used to say dress for success, but I find I said, I'm going to get just kind of maybe a little down D and D. Yeah. Wrap yeah. yeah. the package, ladies. <laughs> that's wise. Uh, I will use that and I'll quote you. Well, I did get it from someone else, uh, a a gentleman who has a a program, and he and I'll tell you, and this is just offline, but his his wrapping the package with men, they wear black suits, they wear uh, yellow ties or white, Mm -hmm. and they're silk, yellow, pink, red, or um, uh, beige. Um, oh. that matches the shirt. And every one mm-hmm. of these African-American men and others from all over yes. the world who dress like uh-huh. that, they talk about how they're moved from business, I mean, a coach to business or first class and the way they look <laughs> based on how that. they wrapped the package. So anyway, thank you for that. I, I know yes. you've helped so many, many young men. And I hope today that someone out there is listening to that. On your own time, you can dress like you want. Mm-hmm. But there are times, occasions you need to wrap the package and dress yes. for success. <laughs> so from all of your experiences too, Dr. Franklin, what has been your most gratifying and memorable? Because you've got a lot, but a couple of them you can share. I know they're just outstanding. Well, you know, it, I think it, it was being invited by President Obama to serve on his uh, Fathers and Mentors Advisory Board. And I visited the White House during those years prior to the announcement of what became My Brother's Keeper. We were helping to shape what he announced as My Brother's Keeper. But during those early years, we'd meet at the White House, and there were only, I guess, 15 or 16, and these were, you know, well-known, like the Reverend Ron from Run DMC and the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Alonzo Moore. He had a couple of pro ball 
players and uh, uh, one of the uh, chef, Bobby Flay, and then little old me, the president of Morehouse. And uh, he appreciated that there was someone there who's leading an institution dedicated for 150 years of helping to prepare young men of character and of intelligence who were serving their communities. So we made a great uh, advisory board, had a lot of fun together. Uh, every Father's Day, we bring in hundreds of young high school uh, young men, uh, you know, white, black, brown, yellow, red, everyone. They would show up. They're so excited to be at the White House. And there was President Obama and Vice President Biden going table to table, talking to these young men. And he'd slap us uh, on the back uh, as the mentors and say, keep up the great work. We appreciate what you're doing. So that's one of the great achievements, I think, and things I really feel good about today. You've done just such great work. I'm so excited about it. And so out of all of the, you know, you've written several books, but one of the things I thought about, Dr. Franklin, out of all of the books that you have written, and there's a plethora, you've written three books. We talk, Is it three or four books that you've written? Yeah, three. The fourth one is in, in, in the making. Called The Moral Leadership. Uh yes. What what can you give me some thoughts about what what are you saying? What do you want the readers to take away when we talk about moral leadership? Because right now in today's climate and environment, you can really mm. speak and address leadership. I mean, yes. <clears throat> yes. so I begin with, and I teach classes at Emory University, also in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, I teach classes on moral leadership, where we define moral leaders as women and men of integrity of courage, and imagination who serve the common good while inviting others to join them. So I know that's a long, uh, uh, complicated uh, definition. But Not we really. look for among the many virtues and good, great qualities, integrity is essential. We start there. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. to be honest, be who they really are, authentic. Mm-hmm. Authentic. Courage. About that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Courage. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian uh, author, said that courage is not just one of the many virtues. Courage is the form of all the virtues at the point of testing. That's true. So when we are <laughs> tested, we need courage. Yes, we do. And the third is this quality of imagination. And as I'll be writing about this and, and putting this together for a book that I hope will be published next year, I hope you'll have me back to talk about it then. I sure will. I definitely will. <laughs> yes, sir. And, and there I'm suggesting we need people who are creative, who are, have a determination and a resilience to try, uh, you know, a hundred different things and never to give up, to learn from failure, to embrace failure and, and frustration. And to say, I have something to learn in every disappointment in my life. So I'm working on that and trying to identify examples uh, of leaders who I regard as moral leaders. And I'm focusing Mm -hmm. on people who are alive today. So it's easy to talk about people like Nelson Mandela or Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Mm -hmm. Luther King or Dorothy Day. But uh, I'm also interested in the people we see in our midst. Uh, a Bishop Charles Blake of Los Angeles, uh, a Pope Francis, 
a <laughs> young Muslim woman, Malala Yousafzai, uh, uh, who was who was who was literally shot in the head for trying to promote girls' education yes. uh, in Afghanistan. And so leaders like that who inspire us and invite us to be better people. And ultimately, my my suggestion is that all of us can move from being simply moral citizens to being to moral, moral leaders. leaders. As- we're going to take a break right here. I hate to stop you right now, but we're going to come right back after a quick commercial break, and we're going to have more of Dr. Robert Franklin. So stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Don't- we're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, welcome back, and I'm honored to have my guest today, Dr. Robert Franklin, truly a man for all seasons, who's had such an impressive and remarkable career journey. He's had a marvelous impact on so many African-American men and women and others throughout the globe. So it is my pleasure that we come back and we are going to share with you a little bit about more of his experiences. We just finished talking about his book that's coming out next year, Moral Leadership. Uh, it, in, it talks about, and he just gave us, an, I use the acronym ICI, Integrity, Courage, and Imagination. And Dr. Franklin, thank you so much for sharing that too, because when we talk about that, one of the things that really resonated with me uh, when you talked about this, being creative, being resilient, but the old moral thing is learning from failures, which gets mm. me into, you know, learning from failures failures, and which gets me into something uh, I hadn't planned to really ask you, but one of the things about our millennials today, and one of the things, my favorite book says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, what are the things that our young African-American women and men, the millennials, I would say, should be hearing today in order for them to achieve their greatness and step into their destiny? Well, I, I do believe, you know, it starts with with having confidence that you are loved, that you belong mm-hmm. here, that you have something to contribute, mm-hmm. uh, that you are not an accident, but you are here on purpose. 
and we move from purpose to a sense of trying to match the world's need with your greatest passions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one definition I've heard from an art- artist, uh, Frederick Buechner, who mm-hmm. said that uh, that's ultimately what vocation is about. How mm-hmm. do we match those? Um, I think that uh, ultimately we need a community, people who can inspire us, hold us accountable, keep us moving mm-hmm. in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I begin that answer. Well, and that's a good answer, you know, because one of the things I have found in my limited research is that many of the young women today and men, many, you know, millennials, they're looking for value. How, what, what's the purpose in, in, in acquiring value and meaning and what and purpose in what they do? So right, I think right. that your answer was right on target. Yes. Um, and one of the things, too, is that in your opinion, what do you think? is the greatest hindrance, because when we start talking about hindrances, and I hate bringing that up, but we have to look at it in reality where we are today to racial harmony. And Mm. what, in your opinion, what is the greatest hindrance to racial harmony? And and what can be done to remove this hindrance? I guess that's, I'm asking sort of two questions, really. Right, great questions. And I think part of what we need is uh, dialogue. We need, Mm -hmm. and I think it's especially important as we think about Black History Month, to Mm -hmm. learn the stories. Start with our own story. Mm -hmm. How our people came to this nation, their experience in America, where we've gone since the beginning of our time here, and then learn the stories of others. And, you know, for Mm -hmm. people of color, it's knowing Mm -hmm. the European story, the Anglo experience. Mm-hmm. For Anglo and Europeans, it's understanding uh, Native American stories, African stories, and mm-hmm. peoples from Asia and around the world. So that's mm-hmm. part of the educational uh, responsibility all of us have. And we mm-hmm. can do this. It's not just by reading thick books. You can also learn a lot by watching movies, reading mm-hmm. novels, and mm-hmm. make it fun. Uh, you know, you can learn a lot even online. So I think we move from there, having a knowledge base, to ensuring that we show respect, respect (laughs) to all people. And uh, from there, I think that we need to find ways to to meet, because we are strangers, we are distant, and we need dialogue. And that, I think, ultimately leads us to the possibility of cooperating and working together to make better communities. You know, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, the dialogue should begin in our own community. I don't think there's enough uh, dialogue happening uh, within our own community of African-Americans. And um, and that brings up a good point of of how to engage our communities with dialogues so that we can talk and people can be open uh, to share and to what I call dispute resolution, because there are a lot of times people have different viewpoints, but to That's be able right. to come together. And I think more yes, importantly, learn the stories. You're, you're yeah. so right on target, My, which <laughs> yeah. leads me into something that, you know, is happening too, that I see that there's a lot of excitement and hype about the movie Black Panther. And no, so um, everywhere, you know, all on television, everybody's talking about Black Panther. And I do understand mm-hmm. too, 
when they when they um, showed the film, or they had previews, I guess, of it in Asian countries, mm. what it sparked were individuals from other countries who came in their native costumes, mm. uh, which which to me, I guess, it speaks of people beginning to celebrate their own culture, and yeah, so maybe yeah. this has sparked something that will generate positivity. And so I want your thoughts on that. On the movie well, Black I love Man. that, and I think this is another of those moments where not just all Americans, but the entire world can tune into the story of a particular people, even though it's a fantasy. It's rooted at least in an understanding of a particular uh, African nation that has mm-hmm. enormous uh, mineral resources that the world desires. And it tells stories about uh, leaders, the role of leaders, moral leadership. Mm-hmm. It tells mm-hmm. us something about families and how we protect one another, how we serve one another, and about how we can even engage in conflict in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think this will be an amazing story. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the Black Panther and hoping we can utilize that story to uh, open up into these other important lessons about moral leadership, about virtue and good qualities, how important it is to tell the truth, to keep your promises, to be a good person, even when no one is watching, and Mm -hmm. then about doing everything you can to strengthen our family and enhance our communities. Sometimes I tell my students, If you're going to apply for a job and you approach the place of employment and you see a paper uh, strewn about on the on the sidewalk, so the first thing you should do is pick up all the paper you can, uh, you know, and and then Mm -hmm. and then make that a part of your qualification. And uh, I've heard one young man tell me that he used that, and the employer noticed this young man picking up trash in the yard before he came in. And they hired that young man. They said, you have the qualities we need. Yes, yes. Oh, that is, that's wonderful. I I just really want to thank you for that because, you know, my heart is just, you know, full now because I, I, you know, this movie, as we talked about it and you're sharing about moral leadership and seeing communities and and being able to realize that they are heroes. And for our young people, particularly these young African-American males have never really seen a black hero. And but also more importantly in that movie, as I understand from the clips I've seen, is that it also shows women, African-American women who are strong, but who Mm. are portrayed Mm. in different roles of strength and leadership so that it's not just one particular model, but there are many models of moral leadership among women. So I just wanted to, you know, share that, too. But I just important because so often women. (laughs) Are, are in the background in mm-hmm. those films. So you're absolutely right. This era of Wonder Women, let's see more uh, more kinds of wonderful women. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, Wonder Woman is not the only woman. I mean, so there are a Indeed. lot of wonder African-American women, Asian women, La- right. Latino women. Right. You know, I hope that this is going to be the year of the woman. That's my hope yes. anyway. <laughs> yes, I like that. <laughs> but I, I just can't thank you enough for being on the show today and sharing your nuggets of wisdom uh, with our audience. 
and most importantly, your extraordinary transformational journey. And I want to wish you many, many blessings as you continue doing the work of our God and Creator and pursue your book on moral leadership. I'm going to be looking forward to its publication. But just a note for our listeners, how can they attain any of your previous books that you have written? Well, I have a website, and if you go to robertmfranklin.org, O-R-G, you'll find uh, access to those uh, those books. You can certainly find them online. You can see Mm -hmm. the titles and descriptions of the three books on my website, robertmfranklin.org. But then, you know, through Amazon, all sorts of uh, avenues and bookstores have them, so you can order them and get a great deal. But I'd love to hear from those who decide to read it. Oh, I think that's going to be wonderful because actually those books, I mean, I want to read those books because they sound very provocative and interesting titles of those books. And I had a copy of all of those books and I was looking for them and I'm like, I can't find a copy that I had of the titles of all of (laughs) your books. Can you just share with us the titles of all all your books? Yes. Oh, I got them. Crisis in the Village, Restoring Hope in African-American Communities. That yes. was one that you so, did. So, so uh, liberating visions. Mm-hmm. The second was um, uh, another day's journey. Another and day's the journey. Third is crisis in the village. Okay, I, I think that would hope. be a good read. Uh, restoring Hope in African American Communities. And so, I want to thank all you listeners today for tuning in to Dr. Robert Michael Franklin. He has been a wonderful guest. And again, I want to wish you extraordinary blessings. And listeners, listen up, because we're going to have a great show for you next week. And as I leave you with these words, and I'm going to ask Dr. Franklin, do you have any last words you want to say to our listeners? Any prophetic word? (laughs) I have a favorite quote that I'd like to cite. It's by uh, Rabbi Maimonides. It says, The world is equally balanced between good and evil. Your next act will tip the scale. I love it. So, (laughs) I have one, too. Happy Mardi Gras. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Mardi Gras. It's Tuesday. It's called Fat Tuesday (laughs) in the United States. And I also want to say health, happiness, and success depend upon the fighting spirit of each person. The big thing is not what happens to us in life, but what we do about what happens to us. So I want you to tune in next week. Again, we're going to have another exciting guest for you during Black History Month. Have a very blessed week to all of you. And thank you for listening. And Dr. Franklin, you have a great day. And thank you so much for being on the show today. We love you. Real pleasure. You and all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Have an outstanding week.